You're listening to Pocket Politics, the podcast from Voting Smarter. Voting Smarter is a nonprofit making civic engagement easy for everyone in a fair, fast, and fun way. Be sure to check out Vote Plus, our browser extension found in the Chrome Store, to see if the companies you shop at online share your values. Also, check out Candidate, our dating app for elections found in the Apple App Store. To see which candidates running in your area you should bring home to mom on election day and who you should leave on red. Today's podcast is a departure from our normal unbiased coverage of public policy and elections. We will be discussing news and public policy proposals from the highly varied political perspectives of our diverse team of volunteers. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Pocket Politics, the podcast from Voting Smarter. We're really excited to have you listening with us. Uh, we've got a panel of uh, six of our team from various political perspectives here with us today. This is where we get to sort of cut loose and actually talk about our op- political opinions. At work, You know, we, we do our best to mitigate our biases when we're building uh, our tools like our browser extension, launching in March that'll match you with the companies that share your values and our current uh, iOS app that matches you with the candidates uh, who are running for office uh, with your values. So uh, I'm going to get started. I'm Terry Crandall, the CEO of Voting Smarter. Check us out at www.votingsmarter.org. While you're there, sign up for the waiting list for that new browser extension and for our new newsletter launching uh, on February 18th. It'll be a weekly newsletter in which we share with you uh, the stories of the week that we thought were important on both politics, elections, the issues that we're monitoring for voters and citizens, as well as corporate social responsibility. So as CEO, um, and like everybody else, I make it clear where I stand politically. Uh, I'm on the right. I'm what I would call a, a libertarian conservative. I worked for the McCain campaign in the past, and um, I, I sort of see the, you know, the market as a solution to most things. Um, let's welcome our newest member of the team. It's Andrew. Um, Andrew, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us, you know, vaguely where you're at and, um, you know, maybe where you are on the political spectrum. Everyone, I'm Andrew. I just joined Voting Smarter about a week ago as a research intern. And tonight I'm calling in from the George Washington University in DC. I'm a senior at the university. I'll be graduating at the end of this semester in the early May, I'm starting that job search pretty soon. Uh, and I identify as a member of the Democratic Party. Uh, my, is my kind of voting and my ideas don't always align with the party, but based on what we have in the US, that is uh, how I see myself. And yeah, great to join the team as a specialist on international affairs. Awesome, thanks, Andrew. And uh, Sean, uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everybody for who's new to new to the show? Uh, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Sean. I work as a content writer and also contributor to the podcast. And I would describe myself as a progressive and far left leaning person. Bro, Bernie, bro. Yeah, I, you're you're not so much leaning, right? You're you're there, right? So uh, I like it. I like it. Um, 
Is Bernie going to run again, Sean? I don't know. I hope so. Okay. Maybe if if Joe Biden and Donald Trump are going to run again, then let's run I guess it back. Bernie Sanders can too. Run it back. Let's get Hillary in there too. I mean, let's let's just. I love it. Love it. Brought the election brought to you by Denture Cream. All right, um, Adam. Adam, you're you're laughing hysterically because I'm your boss. Why don't you tell us where you are and and uh, what you do for the team and where you stand politically? Yeah, so I'm a research intern here, voting smarter. Um, I've been here about like six months. Um, I'm an economics student at Brigham Young University, and I mostly find myself on the like the moderate left is, is where I'm at right now. Although I've kind of been all over the place the last couple of years, um, but that's definitely where I identify right now. So. Awesome, thanks. I am going to want to hear about the all over the place. I want to hear about the the the, the different pills you're taking, and if you're red, and then you're blue, and then you're bluer, and then redder. Like I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's let's talk about it. And uh, we've also got Isaac. Isaac, tell us about yourself and and uh, where you're at. Absolutely. Thank uh, one. Hello, everybody. Uh, hello, everybody listening. Um, name is Isaac D. Tucker Raspberry. Previously was the corporate social responsibility intern, um, mostly working on data things, all things data for the, for the group. Um, but now I'm on the podcast. Um, my dream in a dream world, I'd, I'd have dinner with Bernie Sanders fairly often. Um, him and AOC at, at environmental um, spots while we talk over the EPA. You know, that's that's kind of where kind of where I'm at. Um, and what I like to describe here on the podcast is lefty land um, towards the progressive end with Sean, but you know, lefty land sounds like a lot more fun to me. So I'm, I'll, I'll sit there. You know, I think, I think you're onto something, uh, a dinner series with Bernie Sanders and AOC and Isaac. I mean, that is, that is a Bravo TV show if I've ever heard of one and I would watch it. Um, and I think lefty land is a, is a way, is way better branding. I'm, and I'm not just being glib. I think I, I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Last but certainly not least, uh, Benjamin, uh, why don't you tell everybody where you're at and uh, on the spectrum and uh, location-wise? Yeah, how's it going, guys? Uh, I'm coming to you from Arlington, Virginia, uh, Northern Virginia. Uh, so on the political spectrum, I like to identify as a moderate Republican. Uh, not, you know, don't stray too far from the center. Uh, and I work in Republican campaign politics. So, uh, you know, kind of aligns with my viewpoints. Awesome. Thanks. And Ben, you uh, have been with us quite some time like Sean, right? Yeah, at this point, probably a little bit over a year. Yeah. So, yeah. Been, been fun. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, you, you know, people last this long on our team, I think, um, is, is testament to mental illness. And so the, uh, or maybe, maybe it's a fun place to work. I don't know. Um, and we're, hopefully we're making a difference. So if you're new to the podcast, the way it works is we break down some of the headlines of the week, and then we'll do a deep dive on some of the stories we think are interesting or could form an interesting conversation. And uh, tonight, those, those deeper dives, uh, we're, we're going to do a, a quick recap and update of, of what's happening uh, between Russia and Ukraine and the other parties involved with our new international relations correspondent, Andrew. Uh, we're also going to talk about the story 
maybe non-story about uh, government funded crack pipes. Um, and we'll, we'll also dip our toe into the conversation about Joe Rogan and should he be at Spotify? And if we have time, we wanna to talk to you about this uh, sensation sort of Instagram account uh, called Dear White Staffers, talking about the experience. Um, it started off talking about the experience of people of color who uh, work for members of Congress. Uh, and it's sort of grown into like, a, did you know how this really works? And it's pretty scary. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about all those issues um, and, 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 and more. Uh, let me start with the headlines we've been watching this week. If you're, if you're new to the podcast or you just found us by accident, you can follow us on Instagram and get daily headlines in our stories and in our posts. Um, so you don't have to do the search. We pride ourselves on being fair, fast, and fun, right? Being unbiased uh, when we're on the job is everything to us. This is our one, our one night of the week where we get to cut loose and tell it like we see it. And so um, we, we'd love it if you could give us a follow, you know, like our posts, share them. If they're good, tell us if they suck. Uh, and, you know, go to our website, sign up for our new newsletter launching uh, on the 18th of February, 2022, uh, in that uh, we're really excited about giving you these headlines uh, on, on politics and corporate social responsibility. There's nobody really watching the companies out there um, and in a newsletter format like that. So we really wanna help people shop their values. And that's one way we, we think we can help you do that. So to the headlines from this week, the DHS is tracking reports, potential truck convoys in the United States amid the continued Canadian trucker freedom protests in Ottawa. Uh, the IRS will begin to collect information this year from online payment apps. So get your crypto ready. Um, we've also are watching stories like the mask mandates are changing in many of states, uh, New Jersey, California, Oregon, Connecticut, Delaware, New York, Massachusetts, all have announced plans to eliminate mass mandates in some capacity. Also, the top science advisor to the White House, Eric Lander, resigned on Monday. He is the first member of President Biden's cabinet to resign. Uh, it's believed uh, some sort of work conflict or relationship was the reason. We're also, as I mentioned, we're watching uh, the Instagram account at Dear White Staffers, uh, where uh, Staffers on the Hill publish anonymous stories about working conditions um, and the lack of diversity there. We're also tracking a story that from Biden supporters saying that they plan not to vote because they feel that their concerns have not been met and that the promises to them about student debt have not uh, been upheld by the administration. That's just a little bit of taste of the, of the news of the week. And um, let's jump into some of these stories. Uh, first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it over to Andrew, who is live in Moscow. He's not. And he's going to tell us sort of about what's happening there between Russia and Ukraine. Hi, everyone. Looking again towards Russia and Ukraine this week, we've got a continued period of kind of stagnant tension. Uh, it looks like that Russia has continued to uh, accrue troops on the border of Ukraine, 
There are currently 30,000 stationed north of Ukrainian border in Belarus and are kind of the troops of concern at the moment. They have since begun a 10-day period of military exercises. Um, and some of the naval aspects of this uh, are scaring the Western allies and uh, possibility that Ukraine would lose access to the Black Sea and viable trade routes in that region. This is part of a total contingent of 130,000 total Russian troops that are stationed. NATO, on the other hand, has forces currently stationed in Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Poland, and Romania to the north and west of Ukraine. Russia is, of course, demanding a pullback of these troops and that Ukraine not join NATO and that countries near Russia not become too integrated with NATO beyond what they already have. The U.S. has been preparing to evacuate Americans if, if need be, and it's reported that there are about 10,000 to 15,000 Americans living in Ukraine at the moment, many of whom don't want to leave, but should a military or conflict situation arise, they may not be left with too much option. And the main stories of the past week have been the international talks that have been going on between various ambassadors from various countries. Uh, the main ones being uh, France and Germany. Uh, French President Emmanuel Macron met with Vladimir Putin in Russia this past week and came back feeling very optimistic that he was able to kind of put a pause or a damper on the tension. Macron quoted Putin in saying that he won't be in initiating an escalation of the crisis. I don't think that Macron has been able to do too much on his own. However, it seems that Macron is kind of uh, riding the coattails of the current stagnation in the conflict and is looking to kind of build up his profile in the run up to the 2022 French election as his approval rating in the country is hovering around somewhere perhaps 25%. And he look, is looking to separate himself from his fellow candidates. Boris Johnson of the UK also believes that Moscow has made a decision not to go to war, but is not ruling out any possible crises and has said that there will be bloodshed, I think was his quote. I will have to confirm that again at some point. Um, but he was quoted in saying that he does not believe Russia will be taking um, Ukraine to war. Um, and yeah, those are the main points of Russia-Ukraine this week. Uh, not too much uh, going on beyond what has already been occurring, but hopefully the, the stagnant tension remains and decreases over the next few weeks as opposed to spiraling further into a crisis. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. You know, I, some of the analysis I saw of Macron's visit, certainly there were the political gains um, that he sought, but it was sort of that it, it would take unanimity of of the countries to um, invoke some of the sanctions and some of the some of the things against Russia um, that have been proposed if they do invade Ukraine. And so Macron did have an opportunity behind closed doors if he it so wanted to use it, saying, "No matter what, I'll vote no." Right, as long as you don't invade. Or no, and same thing with the NATO. To allow Ukraine in, it, take, it takes unanimity. That's what I was mentioning, right? So it takes unanimity to add a country to NATO. And so he'll like, as long as I'm president of France, I'll vote no. We'll vote no. And so it, maybe it comes down to the trust there. Um, were you hearing the same thing from your research? Uh, I was not. I did not catch that, that point. 
But if we were to kind of extrapolate the possibility of what happened behind closed doors, I don't know if I would write it off. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, anybody else have uh, questions or, or um, points that they would like to, to bring up on the Russia-Ukraine conflict? I know we've talked about it in the past, and I don't think any of us are really for American troop involvement. So, um, okay, well, great. I mean, okay. I, yeah, go ahead. I don't, Isaac. I don't think we might, we might all not be for U.S. Uh, military involvement, but I also don't think Russia is interested in Russian U.S. military involvement. I think it's smokes and mirrors. They might have the people there, but like they've bluffed in the last few years. People called it and they were right. And I think this time around, they're just trying to bluff a little bit more aggressively. Um, but I mean, or a little bit more thoroughly, let's put it. Um, but I don't think it's anything more than that. Russia itself isn't really, I think they're trying to take advantage of, of the West being in a little bit in disarray. Um, you talked about the French elections. You talked about, like, we're talking about Angela Merkel being out of, out of, like, out of the way. Um, we're talking about the United States having its own interest in doing domestic policy, like politics stuff in the midterms. Um, the West is out of whack, and I think they're trying to make the best of it, which on an international stage, it makes sense, but Strategically, that's the only other thing certainly. I... Yeah, from a strategy yeah. perspective, it makes sense. One of the things that struck me from what Andrew was talking about was the number of Americans living in the Ukraine. Um, it's, you know, and so I'm, I'm sure immediately all of us thought of Afghanistan. Um, that's where my ma mind went. Um, and I was thinking that it's very different in the sense that Putin's not looking to kill all the Ukrainians, and he's certainly not looking to kill any American he finds in the Ukraine, like we assumed the Taliban would um, of Americans left behind and people who helped Americans left behind. So I think the pressure to get Americans out is different. And, and, and my, my, my second thought was, well, how many thousands of Americans are living in Russia? So um, it's, it's not the same uh, I think risk to Americans other than being in the line of fire if combat were to break out. Um, so yeah, I, look, I, I think we're all hopeful that this is bluster and that there is some sort of diplomatic solution here. Um, okay. Speaking of diplomatic solutions, uh, on the right, they've been reporting that the Biden administration is going to use tax dollars to buy crack pipes and distribute those crack pipes along with other drug paraphernalia in safe smoking kits to drug addicts around the country. Uh, this immediately brought a lot of criticism to the Biden administration who today uh, said, no, we're not supplying crack pipes. The, the press secretaries said that was not included in these safe smoking kits. So some of the confusion seems to be where some municipalities have things called safe smoking kits that include crack pipes. And the right sort of just jumped on that phrase, thought it was a great thing to throw in Biden's face, especially given the, the photos on, uh, the Russian photos on Hunter Biden's laptop. And uh, so speaking of Russia, and so I think, when we first thought about talking about this, when the first story, the story first broke, we were going to talk about, wow, wow, the politics of it. I think the story is a little different today. 
Um, is this just a case of parsing by both sides, calling it a safe smoking kit and, you know, saying, oh, no, maybe it's not a pipe, it's a tube. Uh, is it, um, or is it the, the right is now right on the edge of what's factual, pushing that sort of narrative? So I, I think there's a conversation for us to have there, but let's first have the conversation on the merits of providing pipes to people who smoke meth and, and crystal cocaine or crack cocaine. Um, at first glance, I think the lay person would be like, why are we giving tools to use drugs to drug users? Especially when just possession of those tools alone is a crime. Selling, selling a crack pipe by at 7-Eleven or on the street, it would end you in jail if you were a a non-state actor. So um, who, who wants to make the case for crack pipes? Did I frame that improperly? Who wants to make the case for um, letting people destroy their own lives? No, I'm sorry, I did it again. Uh, who wants to make the case that the government should intervene and make sure that drug users who are addicted to something and probably have little control over that addiction at this point in their life, that they're doing it safely. Anybody want to make that point? Adam does? Okay. I mean, I don't know how related this is, but I was just thinking about like the, I mean, I think a lot of people on the right, um, it's more of like a philosophical thing, like, oh, I don't want to, you know, pay taxes or like support a government that's like enabling like drug use, um, you know, something that they don't believe in. But um, and that's more of like a thing out of principle. Um, for me, it's like um, the principle, like the, the overarching principle here is like practicality. Like, like you said, um, these are people that are in a situation that they probably don't have a ton of control over. So I think the least we can do is make sure that they're doing it somewhat safely and not um, creating a lot of like negative externalities on other people. So I think it comes down to like, you know, the moral phil philosophical part of it and then the practical part of it. You're really speaking my language here, Adam. You're really trying to turn me using those econ terms, right? Like externalities. I'm like, oh, wait, maybe he's right. So I, I like the point you, may, you made that, you know, you're looking at this pragmatically. What's going to save more lives? Not um, should the state be doing this or is it moral? And I, and I think that's reasonable. But I, I do love sort of the irony, right? Because it seems to me that the right thinks of itself as the pragmatic logical party. And they view the left as the emotional party, the feeling party, right? The rights, the people on the right are like the people who, who say, I think we should do this. And the people on the, to them, the people on the left, I feel we should do this. But you're right, there is a, a large portion um, on the right that likes to put their feels in their public policy, right? Their morality into public policy. And so um, as the Republican Party has become more libertarian, as I've become more libertarian, 
right? Uh, I've accepted the idea we live in a morally relativist society. I think I, I think I know what's moral and immoral, but if we have freedom of religion, you could be a Satanist, right? So like, I'm pretty sure that would be diametrically opposed to Christianity, which I'm not necessarily Christian, but uh, so that's, you, you bring up an interesting point. Anybody wanna add to Adam's point or, or Ben, Ben, jump in there. So I certainly agree with Adam's uh, first point that drug addiction, an individual's drug addiction itself uh, doesn't pose much harm to us, but it's the symptoms of that drug addiction, right? And I'm sure Andrew can relate to me here. You can't walk alone in Union Station late at night with money or even without money and you know not expect to find yourself in some trouble because there's a bunch of homeless guys who are addicted to drugs who are looking for I mean, handouts, and if they can't get that, then, you know, oftentimes they'll look for it violently. So I, I think, you know, drug addiction on itself, right, is not an issue, but the lengths that individuals will go to, to, you know, cleanse their, their addiction, to get their fix, that's when it becomes an issue to society. And that's when we need to, to, you know, step in here and be like, we shouldn't just be kind of, you know, patting someone on the back and saying, oh, it's all right, you know, just make sure you do this safely. Uh, because there are consequences, not only to the drug user, but to the rest of us. That's a, that's an interesting point uh, as well, Ben. And I think that um, you sort of turned Adam's externalities card against him, right? Yeah, but that's not the only harm reduction thing. They don't just give out these kits and are like, okay, you can do whatever you do. Like, there's various steps to these programs. like. I'm entirely in favor of these of this. Like we've seen other countries do exactly this and they have programs set forth because the best way to handle this is harm reduction. If they are going to be using drugs, then it is best that they use it as safely and in a safe environment as possible. Go ahead, Ben. And then yeah, since, oh, oh, you're still going since they are now like relying on the government for these methods they do not have to uh go into illegal routes plus they now have like they're further into steps to rid their addiction because obviously uh these problems come up with multiple things like mental health uh poverty these are very these are usually very intertwined like things so having other programs set them forth like having like a stable home, having like career outlets. Cause I mean, in the United States, if you are, if you're addicted to drugs, illegal drugs, and you're convicted as a criminal, it is very likely that you will never like live that down. You will never get like a second opportunity in this country. You might not even get out of prison. And if you do get out of prison, very likely you won't find a job. So you'll either be on the streets and like I live in Los Angeles with the like largest homeless population. And that is not a good way to have like deal with this issue or they'll just enter the prison system again, which does not help. And then you might have like 1% of outliers 
we make it out, but it's not really acceptable. I think we have like a 70, 70% like reconviction rate of past convicts, which is terrible. That's awful. That's- if, if we really like, if we really want to like actual system that actually like rehabilitizes criminals, because right now you can't say it rehabilitizes if 70% and back in there. So it's just retributive, which doesn't help anyone. It, yeah, it costs I, more I, money to have them there than if they were in the workforce, like hundred percent taxes. hundred percent. No, I think prison reform, criminal justice reform is a necessary piece here. Absolutely. Um, but isn't that what you fix first? And I mean, so there's sort of the chain of events here, but I think that's, and we can, we can talk about that, but let's address sort of this specific idea that enabling drug users to use drugs safely is better than not enabling drug users to use drugs safely. Because I would think, and maybe this is a a spurious uh, slippery slope here, but shouldn't we just give them the drugs then? Right? Because if they're, if the, if the number one way that uh, the the homeless population or these, or, or, or low-income people are able to pay for these highly addictive substances. I, I was watching one homeless man interview the other day. He spends 20 to $60 a day on his habit. He was asked, how do you get $20 to $60 a day? He's like, I steal stuff. And so um, shouldn't we just give him the drugs too? If we're really trying to prevent the crime, right? Isn't, isn't that the next step to counter Ben's argument? Should we be supplying them the drugs and the, the clean, safe places and tools to use it. Because if we're only giving him the tools, then Ben might be right. We're only increasing crime. Well, even better, we could just legalize it and then we wouldn't have to provide it and there wouldn't be any criminal charges. Well, I mean, certainly that would line the up theft. With yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I'm talking a lot. Um, money to purchase. You know, it, it's unless we're having the government handed out people still need money to purchase the drug so i don't think it's the i do agree that most drugs should be decriminalized or you know there shouldn't be uh any significant prison time for possession but again the whole uh gist here is that it's the lengths people go to and the crimes they commit in pursuit of their addiction to you know to get their fix that's what the issue is right and, you know, Tron made a couple of good points about, uh, you know, having these government programs that are all intertwined and, and trying to you know, wean the population off drugs. But if we're being, you know, realistic here, drug addiction is a very, very powerful thing. And sure, those programs may work for a few people, but you're never going to get the entire population of the United States clean, right? Like we're, we're, we're a drugged up country at this point. I think we need to accept that. And you know we need some mitigating factors to to stop cities like Los Angeles from spreading, right? Like I've never been to LA. I've I've heard about it. I've heard about Portland. I work with people from Seattle. Like it sounds like those places are hell holes. Uh, you know, to me at least, uh, I don't want people walking around. You know, accosting me for money everywhere I go. I walked into work today. There was a a, a giant pile of feces in the subway on, right here in Arlington, Virginia. Not even in Washington. So it's like. There's a lot of things that that we certainly can do to help people who are addicted to drugs. 
but feeding their addiction is in, in any way, shape or form is not going to contribute to solving the problem. I mean, from Los Angeles, from like Los Angeles, being here so far, fortunately, I've never seen human feces on the ground here. Um, so that's, that's, that's my bid for Los Angeles. I'm, I'm from New Jersey, but I don't really like it here. But on the, on the other points that we've like kind of talked about, I mean, it's sunny here, Terry, but don't get me wrong. It's not the best place on the planet. In that, Ben and I can agree. Um, but when it comes down to like kind of the directions that we're going, I think there's three things to highlight. You're in Los Angeles. The, Los Angeles sucks. California is gorgeous. Okay. You're just in the wrong part of California. I'm not. I, I'm only California coming for Laker overhyped. games. I, California, Texas, New York, overhyped. Nobody hypes Texas. It's cheap. Texas, New York, definitely Texas, big time. Well, okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's the way it works. But to the politics point, like, there's three things I think we're getting at here. There's what did the Biden administration actually do, and like, what did they actually fund? There's, um, there's like, a question of what do people with drug addiction do to those links. And how do we talk about that in moral health or like accosting kind of ways? Like, how do we actually have that conversation? And then there's the question of like a public health kind of initiative. Now, when it comes down to what Biden's administration actually did, they put out like a, a they're putting out a plan for a 1.9, I think it's trillion dollar policy plan for coronavirus aid. And of that money is like $30 million for, um, for like, I think it's like, what is it, harm reduction programs. And those those kinds of things may or may not, and like the definition is very wide depending on who's actually getting the aid, who's putting, who's putting together the kind of like cases or boxes. So like if one group understands that harm reduction as a, as a means to, like to provide that, then that's them. But 30 million in the case of $1.9 trillion isn't even a whole percent it's not even half of one whole percent. And so like the, the scale and magnitude, I think of what we're talking about, one is, is horribly off. And two, the, like, the mandate for how to administer the program is very wide because we're having this conversation. How do we wanna handle it? Some organizations might not, ones that are Christian might not. And then some that are, that are in the heart of like Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles might see that as a very important thing to do in terms of having a public health kind of conversation. Now that that's just the politics piece, but like when it comes down to what drug addicted folks do or don't do, honestly, I, I see it as like there's worrying about their health and then there's worrying about what they do to like the public good. But I think that the question about like the public good and how they negatively impact it is a part of the long tradition in the United States that we have of demonizing the poor, demonizing the low income, demonizing those with addictions. And it's it's a conversation we can have, we're having it now, but similarly to the way that we're having it now, I think it's a waste of time to talk about the fact that these people are sick and like we should be doing the best that we can to protect their health and well-being and stop the the drivers that push people to these types of drugs in the first place. There are plenty I'm of people I'm getting some breaking news here on my phone. The, mm. the Biden administration has just announced they are supporting mandatory minimum sentencing for all crack cocaine users. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That was 1987. Uh, mm. my, my news feed's kind of off. But I am getting a story that they've, uh, they've announced a new <laughs> top science advisor to replace Eric Lander. He's going to be the drug czar um. 
for the administration. His name is Hunter Biden. He's an expert in crack cocaine. Sorry, sorry, it was low hanging fruit. We were getting too serious. It's fair, it's um, fair. It, I mean, could it be any other drug? Like if it was just needles for heroin, the irony would not be nearly as sweet. Um, and, and okay, so I think I, what's great here is we, I think we all want the same, same outcome, right? And that's cool. No, no, I disagree. You, I just, you, I don't, I don't think that we want the same thing. I don't think we understand the problem the same way. Well, let me, <laughs> let me tell you what I think that outcome is and then tell me I'm wrong. So I think the outcome is, is that everyone has a decent shot at opportunity. Everyone understands the ramifications of hard drug use. Hard drug use is decriminalized. And very few people use hard drugs because they know they, they never smoke their first pipe because they're not coming from abusive families or bad situations. It's not abundant around them. Um, they don't get stuck in the prison system because it's it's been decriminalized. So I think that's where we all want to end up. And I think how we get there, you're right. You know, we could we could talk about how it starts at the border, right? Oh, I, I'm getting another news alert. They've announced a war on drugs. Um, no, no, that's that's not right. Um, it said Christmas, and so the. I think we could address how the drugs are coming in, where they're coming from. Um, and, and I think the right would argue, hey, if there was a wall. And um, I think that we can address also criminal justice, right? I, I love talking about criminal justice because I think it is, I think it proves I'm right, right? I want small and limited government and what's the prism system? Big and forceful government. When you let the government make everything illegal, it's gonna, it's gonna subjugate you into that system. And it's gonna use crony capitalism to, to keep themselves wealthy, profiting on the backs of the people in the system. Prison should, in my view, it's, there should be two phases to every type of incarceration. There should be a punishment phase and a rehabilitation phase. Right. And if that's hard labor, it, whatever that the punishment phase, hard labor, you know, um, maybe you have to be the one scrolling through my feed. I, I don't know what what punishment really looks like, um, but <laughs> I take a lot of pictures of my coffee. I mean, that, that'd be rough if you can't have coffee when you're inside. And so we should do what the Chinese did and put them on exercise bikes, generating renewable energy to fund the Bitcoin farm the server farm that the guards had set up in the prison, right? Um, so I'm, I'm about solutions, but there needs to be a punishment phase and there needs to be a rehabilitation phase where we address addiction, where we address, uh, for, each, for each convict, we address the inequities and it, it, that got them where they are. And, and we try and backfill where society failed them and their family failed them and life failed them. And we all have to agree to hire these people and treat them like normal people. That's unlimited government, Terry. 
Well, t- tell me more. to say the same thing. The it is it is that's fair. Um, that's plan to be honest. If there's fewer people getting arrested, though, it'd be, it'd be fewer people needing to get jailed, right? If we decriminalize, do you guys think we should do what Denmark does? And ha- at least I don't know if they still do this, but when I was young, the, in Copenhagen, there was this like walled neighborhood, and it was like, go do heroin, go do whatever you want in this neighborhood, anything goes. But if you're caught with drugs outside that neighborhood, you're screwed. I would think we should take aspects of that, right? Like, I think there needs to be a place for people to do drugs safely, and I think that that needs to be supervised as well. So I don't think we should just have in say an area in the city where people can go in and, and do drugs um, without supervision of a medical professional. And I think some countries have started doing that where they have a, you know, a registered nurse or somebody who's trained in um, kind of drug safety, overdose prevention. Um, and they're provided drugs in that setting and they're allowed to do them there. And I think that's the best because we then we have this big problem with fentanyl being cut into the, into the illegal drug supply, right? So people are intending to do the drugs they're normally doing, but finding themselves dying because it's being cut with this other substance. So I think if the drugs, like we were kind of talking about earlier, are being provided by the government, we can avoid kind of that extra dangerous supply of drugs. And, you know, even more importantly, we can avoid these drugs getting into the hands of children, because that's, in my opinion, is like the lowest of the low is when you are selling drugs to children. So if hopefully if we're providing the drugs, cutting out the middleman of- Like Instagram, of, like Instagram, you mean, right? And Facebook? Oh, yeah. I mean, Snapchat, like, Snapchat is an entire, has an entire drug trade basically running through the, oh yeah, and Instagram does too, I think. I'm talking about dopamine is the drug that they're dealing. But yes, there's oh, also- yeah. I, yeah, now Instagram has taken their like counter off now, so we can we can help. Um, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of that as well. But I think that that's- You get a like, part. everybody gets a like. Come on. You took soccer away. You took AYSO soccer. Everybody gets a trophy. Now it's everybody. Now all my coffee picks. Oh, oh, oh wait. Um, maybe I can buy into this. And that's the, the, the good thing you bring up coffee because kind of my viewpoint on this whole thing is if you woke up today and you drank a cup of coffee, you're essentially a, a hypocrite in the, in the drug crisis, right? Like caffeine is the world's most addictive and the world's most addicted to drugs. We essentially drink a cup of drugs every morning, but because it, you know, it affects us in a different way than something like, you know, crack cocaine or heroin, uh, we don't look at it the same. Same thing with alcohol, you know, like, so we, I don't think that any of us can come from a place where we can kind of put these people down and, and say that it is a, you know, a product of poor moral choices. When, like we were all kind of saying before, it's got much deeper roots than that. Adam's um, at BYU. But, Adam can look down his nose at all of us. Um, that's true. Adam is milk. avoiding the soda. They chug gallons of milk to get drunk at BYU. Uh, I made that up. But my buddy my buddy at Notre Dame had to do that. Um, so uh, I, Ben wants to go. Uh, I did want to say something uh, to, to Andrew, but I'll save it. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, I think just to, to put a bow on this from the rights perspective, and I mean, you could speak to Terry, but the two of us uh, on the panel here, I think what's getting lost in translation here is no one is demonizing drug addicts or their addiction, right? 
that's not the issue. The issue, again, is the symptoms of the drug addiction, uh, you know, and often the violent symptoms and, and the criminal symptoms. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're still making the decision to commit a crime, to be violent if you rob someone, stab someone, uh, you know, steal. So I, I think we do need to treat drug addiction, right? But the symptoms of, of the people who are addicted to drugs, we can't look the other way from that, right? Like we can't dismiss this just because they come from a, a bad background or, you know, maybe they felt like their, their lot in life wasn't fair. That, that doesn't excuse having, uh, you know, making immoral choices and, and you know, committing uh, felonies. What about, let's say, let, let me give you one hypothetical, Ben. What if uh, you were someone who were in a car accident in 2005 and you were prescribed oxycodone and you got addicted on pain medication that was over prescribed to you and now your life is spiraled out of control and you're homeless and the chemistry of your body is telling you no you don't need that food you need right you need to you need to find some oxy smash it snort it up your nose or you know it's, it's everything in your, so like, there are some people who've ended up in this place unbeknownst to them. So I, I completely agree with you that we have to address the criminality around drugs and procuring of drugs. Um, but I, I, but is that with price controls? We have to make sure there's, that there's a price ceiling on crack you can't sell rocks for more than 10 bucks. Like, um, it, I would, I would say you need to come down harder on the people at the top. Right. And, you know, it sounds cliche and beaten to death at this point, but it's true that they're coming in through a lot of them. I can give you the, you know, the full statistics, but they're coming in through the Southern border. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to, to secure that and make mm-hmm. sure we don't have as many illegal narcotics coming through to get people hooked, to be cut with fentanyl and, and having college kids and high school kids overdose on, on you know, what they think are party drugs that are cut with deadly narcotics, right? We need to get the border under control. Uh, and we need to crack down on maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah, no, no pun intended there. But the dealers, the, yeah. you know, the kingpins of this stuff, they need to face very severe penalties for any you of know, not the street level guys uh, we should pick them up and, and send them to jail and if you become a repeat offender for dealing no matter you know how much it is uh, then the the penalty should increase uh, but it really starts with the top and taking away the the capitalistic gains of it if there's no monetary incentive if the risk is too big uh, to you know be in the illegal narcotics trade then if the incentive is not there people aren't going to do it so let uh, me try and make a segue here because I, I do think, I don't think we're going to change each other's mind. I don't think we're going to convince them that um, we need to solve this top down and they're not going to convince us that, right, you should be able to get um, a couple rocks with your Obama phone. Uh, and so I think the, uh, but the truth is, we have a lot more inward looking to do on who we are and why we are chasing coffee, sugar, Instagram, drugs, 
Like why, why are we filling so much of ourselves with chemicals, right? Like we really have to look at some of, of the, those root causes in addition to abject poverty and lack of opportunity driving that as well. But speaking of selling drugs on the, the dealer level, um, I was wondering how do we, how do we all, I, I imagine all of you enjoy um, good hip hop and, and how do we overcome, right? If, if we're gonna cancel someone like Joe Rogan for saying dumb, gnarly stuff or being wrong, if you think he's wrong on COVID or you think he's racist, um, but we're not gonna cancel people who made money selling drugs and then made money telling us about selling drugs, right? I was just listening to some really good Christopher Wallace over the weekend, RIP, Biggie Smalls, right? And I think that we have, let, let's talk about this Rogan thing, right? There's, there's, there's hip hop culture, um, and I haven't heard the, the compilation of Rogan dropping the N-word um, repeatedly. Um, certainly there's, there's a couple elements to this where do comedians get a pass for, for crossing the line um, as a way to elicit a reaction and humor. Um, there's the, well, he said it and it's freedom of speech. If Spotify wants to associate themselves with it, then fine. Or look, that's hate speech, pull them off the air. So, so what do you, I mean, there's the, what, where are you guys on the Rogan thing? Who's, who's fired up about this? Anybody? I think the silence is, I think the silence is really loud. The fact that I don't think most people care about Joe Rogan. It's a conversation bigger than him, uh, how we want to treat the word and what we want to do with it. And like, how do we want to, how do we feel about the N word as a country? How do we feel about like COVID misinformation or mm -hmm. information? How do we feel about free speech? I think those are the bigger points here. Joe Rogan is just the most recent person to step on that landmine or any one of those landmines. But I mean, I, I mean, you guys Joe are all is... too young to have watched Fear Factor, but I watched him force people to eat horse rectum like i didn't understand uh and like get in a cage with like spiders and you know i i don't know i think uh but I, people swear by his podcast people love it um so yeah let's break this down free speech the the word itself and the current rules about when how and who can use it and should those change? And um, COVID, uh, COVID speech. Ben, what do you what do you want to tackle of those three things that Isaac brought up, or something else? I think we can. I can kind of tackle, uh, you know, most if not all of them with one kind of broader point here. I think in a lot of these like cancel culture discussions that come up, uh, and these people who step, as Isaac said, step on the landmines. I think a lot of the time, the one thing that's lacking is context. And I'll give you an example here. 
I, I don't know the specifics of Joe Rogan, but I know a lot of this is from like years ago on his podcast. Uh, so for anyone who's a fan of the show Entourage, I know you are, Terry. I've been watching that show recently. Uh, it's from the mid 2000s into like the early 2010s. The things they do and say on that HBO sponsored television show, they would never, never get away with in, in 2020, 2021. You know, there's hardly an episode that goes by without uh, Ari Gold making a, a very distasteful joke about his about his gay secretary. There's, you know, they use the R word to describe themselves a lot as, you know, as friends. They clearly don't don't view women on, you know, an equal plane. Uh, but this was on it, a primetime HBO show in the mid 2000s. So should we go back and, you know, cancel all the actors who were in this show, all the writers, producers? Thanks for associating context. me with that. I really appreciate hey, Terry, you like this really misogynist and uh, abusive well, show. Well, no, here's, the, here's the context. No, of it. but that's dumb, though. But they're supposed to be bad people. I love It's Always Sunny, but they're trash people. Like, the point is they suck. I also but, like The Sopranos. I don't watch the Sopranos. I'm like, damn, Tony's awesome. I want to be like Tony. Like, what we're I missing think people here, though, just is... don't understand. Like, there could be shows about bad people, but you don't have to idolize them. But the point is, HBO, you know, got away with having these very, you, you couldn't run that show. You couldn't even say that stuff, even if it's, you know, the obvious implication is that these are bad people. You wouldn't get away with that. In today's standard, because fortunately, yeah, you could definitely do it. Game. Yo, Quentin Tarantino dropped the N word a good amount of times in Pulp Fiction and in other movies. I think he's doing fine. I, I yeah, don't think it that's, matters. That's, very, that's an older movie. We've progressed a lot here, in the last couple of years here. I think the point is that we're, we're using a, a 2022, 2020 you know, lens to look at things where, sure, if Joe Rogan got on his podcast and said all this stuff tomorrow, throw them off right but unfortunately society has you know it's well fortunately for us now it's progressed a lot right we've we've drawn the line on a lot of unacceptable speech ways to treat people and things like that but if you go back you know 15 20 years the standards were different and people living in those times it doesn't mean they're you know terrible people for using it but it was just things were if not acceptable they certainly weren't as you know Round upon as they are now so i think we need to to remember that times change and if you're pulling you know isolated incidents out from the past you need to look at it with with the context of of you know what was our society like at that time i i think that's fair it's it's always difficult to use the mores of one time to judge the mores of another but, you know, I never really liked that argument, to be honest. Okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that have been wrong mm -hmm. since the jump. And it's not like people weren't saying similar things at other points and times in history about whatever you want to call it, abolition, civil rights, mm -hmm. um, the, like, the idea of, of, of the equality of all men. Like, there, there are these ideas point blank. And I think the context here is the simple fact that they spent a good five or so minutes trying to list off a, uh, like a, a list of things that you shouldn't shouldn't be able to say that different communities get offended by. And that's the context. They're just like, you should, you should be able to say these things that people get offended by. And it's like, 
okay, so you want to be able to say the thing that gets people all hot and bothered and not in a good way. Like that, that's what you want here. Like that's the context. And that that's, it's a, it's a little bit different than, okay, well, like you come trying to call me the N word because you want to be my buddy. And, and that's for some people, that's not okay. But like in this context here and now, the, the thing that they're talking about is literally trying to get say the thing that other pe- that gets underneath other people's skin. And my question is, why do you care to say it so much? If if it if it doesn't matter to you, then why do you want to say it? Is it because it's off the table for you? And certainly, I, I, forbidden fruit is probably part of it. I I yeah, let me ask you this. Put it. Uh, let me ask you this though. Don't you think it's different to have a theoretical conversation about being able to say whatever the hell you want versus yelling the N-word at somebody you don't like or disagree with or saying, I'm not going to hire that X, right? And, and don't you think that's a far worse, like being, being someone who wants, it's not that they want to use it. I, and again, I'm not, defending anybody here because I haven't heard the clips. I, it, but I think having this conversation, right? We have to say the N-word, right? Like like we used to have to say the artists formerly known as Prince, right? We can't just say, like, like when you we when we read Huckleberry Finn in class, should the N-word be printed there? Should the student read it out loud, regardless of their color? Should, should we should we have put a box around it and said, okay, you can't say this word. This word is too inflammatory. Don't ever say it. And, and if that's their conversation and they're just poking, yeah, so N-word and poking. And, and I can understand on a talk show having that conversation. And he should have at the, in that time and in this time now be like, dude, that was stupid. That offended a lot of people. That wasn't my goal. And I think that's sort of what he said. I don't know, again, um, but using it, right? I think is a, like, and meaning it is, is a way worse offense. I think what we have to talk about then is, you're right, context does matter. And, and like anything, I don't think, that one individual instance makes a context but then let's take let's take the the average or like let's take the line of what of of all the instances in which the word has ever existed to now and let's 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 add context to them and see where the bar where the bar lines up because once you start to look at it you're like okay well what well who's behind the line like if if everyone has permission to say it which is the point he defends like everyone should be able to say it. Um, who, who then begins to start saying it and using it and, and who is, who's going to come out of the gates when the gates get opened? And that's, that's the question that, that I then have to beg, one. And then two, it's the question of like, it's the question of, yeah, you're right. Him having that conversation is one thing, but the, the, the thing that has to come afterwards is like, what's the history there's like in front of there's the history and then there's like what what would come of this and neither of those things look very good so like i i can't it it's but that's the inward piece of it there's the covid piece we haven't even talked about that because you mean i mean americans are really obsessed with the inward 
Um, and so we haven't even talked about the free speech part of the COVID part, but like so similarly, it, similarly, I think he's obsessed about it. Just I like almost the, most, most Americans. COVID, I think the COVID part and the N-word part are intertwined mm. somewhat because listen, I mean, I brought it up last week with the truckers, but you've got a guy up here in Canada who's, you know, every young liberal woman's heartthrob who has, I mean, how many pictures do we have of this guy in blackface, right? And there's nobody saying a word about him, right? That was just swept under the rug. So I think the reason why you're seeing people come so hard after Joe Rogan is, and I don't agree with the, you know, advice he gives on COVID. Uh, I don't really know most of it. I know it's, you know, not mainstream, uh, but I would certainly defend his right to have a platform to say that. Uh, but I, I think the reason you're seeing such a concerted effort to go after this guy who really is, I mean, he, other than, you know, his kind of like cult following that he has, Joe Rogan doesn't have any influence over our public discourse, right? Uh, but I, I think there's people who are bothered by the fact that there's a guy who isn't just going along with, you know, towing the COVID line with, you know, whatever kind of medical advice that, that they think is mainstream. Uh, and I think they have an excuse now, they see an opportunity to, you know, crush this guy and, and get rid of his platform and they're seizing that. But again, I, I would, you know, just like to see some consistency with, we have, you know, a president of a democratic country up to our North who, I mean, this guy has, and Ralph Northam here in Virginia just ended his governorship, but again, was caught in a picture of, of himself, either himself with blackface or the Klansman thing. And it's like, there was no outrage for that, right? So it's, it is political and it does have to do with COVID. And, and that was not, 40 years ago. I think just, fact, I'm joking. I'm just no, using not, your not, argument not that against piece. you. Yeah. I mean, like the that Joe Northam thing, I think it was on the news pretty recently. Like not recently as in like last two or three months. But he but paid like, no cost for it, I think. I mean, he point. finished up his, his term and there was, you know, really wasn't a concern. The people who are going the hardest after Joe, at my point here, the people who are going the hardest after Joe Rogan are coincidentally mm -hmm. silent about Ralph Northam and, and Justin Trudeau. Uh, and I mean, I those are different audiences not. altogether. People clown on them all the time. I clown yeah. on those, them all are... the time. I think it's super funny they did blackface. I mean, he's prime minister. It's so dumb. There's so many, like, there's so many politicians that have done dumb things, but none of them get punished. And also, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan has, like, the most clout. He's got more clout than all the news media. Like, even, he's, like, two times above Fox News. So I think a lot of people watch Joe Rogan and get his and get their information from it. I mean, Spotify paid him a hundred million dollars. I don't think I don't think he's getting that amount of money if it's just a couple of people. So I think I think there's a difference between being mm. able to say something and should say something, or paying a cost for saying something. Right, and so. We, just like the drug conversation we had, we all seem to sort of agree, all right, make them legal, do what, people, do what you want, but don't rob people to get your drugs. Don't dr take drugs and drive your car. And so I think that um, talking about it is, hey, we should be able to say whatever we want. And let me see. Oh, um, and the and then using it as a pejorative against people um, 
are, are different. Same thing with with the the COVID argument. When did we decide that it we should not debate? Like I I, I said this in one of our earlier podcasts a while ago. Mm-hmm. Both Trump and Biden would have been incredibly well served to have their their cabinet meetings about COVID live streamed, and they should have had the science leaders that were pro-vaccine and the science leaders that were anti-vaccine in that room debating each other, right? They should have showed the debate between Scott Atlas and Anthony Fauci. Terry, but again, I, I don't think with the COVID argument, I don't think there's many people that are anti-vax, right? Like that's a very, very small minority. There's people who are anti-mandate. Uh, but early on, there were a lot of people wary of mRNA technology, and there were a lot of people wary if they wanted to get pregnant. They didn't. They didn't want to be a guinea pig, and I think that's their right. But they should step back from their role in society um, if the vaccine is is working and preventing transmission. Uh, I think today you're right. The conversation isn't about is the vaccine a computer chip from Bill Gates. It's about should the government have the right to force me to put chemicals in my body? I mean, the government has the right to do a the, the government has the right to do a bunch of other stuff, and they have the right to feed our kids at school so they but, could get it in the kids up front if they really wanted to. Well, some if, schools if were we doing that. Down, like, some that schools route. were giving pizza away to kids to get the vaccine without their parents' permission. I mean, look, if we really want to talk about the powers of the government and like being opposed to the powers of the government we, we can talk about taxation we can talk about we can talk about forced conscription from back in the day there's a lot of things for us to talk about but this isn't the first we can talk about the authority of the police to be able to call, carry around like life life endangering tech like guns with them at any given point in time when that's not a standard practice in the rest of the western and or economically developed world we could talk about all that but like, it's not the first time we're having this conversation. It's just, well, I, I think it's a lost. I think it's a it's a lost conversation without that bigger context of all the other all the other things that we allow the government to decide for us. Yeah, and then I mean, you're like, oh, I don't trust this one. I don't trust this one that's backed by like the international science community. Can you no, tell I'm me another vaccine one. you're required to get to go out in public? I'd say you, you're required to get a bunch of them to go to college, and that's to participate yep. in what is now considered a very standard part of but that's the not what this middle class is. American dream. It's not. If but a it college is a wants to require you participation of, yeah. of like your life, so if American life is dependent upon like a certain thing, then then like you need to do that thing, and they mandate you to get it. And that's one thing. So you're already mandated to get a certain number of shots to participate in a certain level of economic existence and subsistence in the United States. And that's just, that's a de facto kind of analysis, but it is, it's one nonetheless. I mean, I'm going to back off here though, because I'm I'm interested in what Ben and Andrew and Sean have to say, but I I can get hot about this. Yeah. I I think that um, I don't like the argument that, well, the government controls all these other things. So they should control this other thing too. It's okay. Or we got to let them not. I don't, I, I think that from a logical perspective, I don't like, there is no other medicine you have to put in your body to go to Starbucks um, or to go watch a movie or go to a nightclub. 
So, and certainly uh, if it was racist to require an ID to vote, it sure is racist to require a vaccine and an ID to go to the supermarket. So um, I, I think the gov government control over what vaccines you get, I don't actually have to um, get my kids vaccinated if I want to put that, if I want to homeschool them, right? So they don't have to get Tdap, they don't have to get MMR vaccines, right? I could I could be totally anti-vax on that level. I could be Jenny McCarthy, right? And I could homeschool my kids. So there isn't it isn't the same sort of thing, um, and it's certainly. Those, all those vaccines have been proven highly effective and not detrimental to the human body for a decade or two. So I, again, I am triple vaxxed. My kids are vaxxed. If they had one for my dog, my dog would be vaxxed, right? Like I am not anti-vaccine, but I do see the anti-mandate point. Um, ben, you have your hand up. Adam or Andrew, did you want to say something as well? Yeah, I mean, I haven't jumped in too much because I don't think I had a much of a difference of opinion than Isaac on this one. But to your point, Terry, I think there's just a difference in between what we see as a government mandate versus, you know, the vaccine being required to go to a restaurant. Because when you ha when I have to show my vaccine around D.C. when I want to go to a restaurant, when I want to go to a nightclub, like that's not as an American citizen, I'm not guaranteed the ability to go to a nightclub, right? So if my vaccination is required for that, I don't see that as your rights being taken away. You, uh, being able to go out, being able to go have a good time to eat out is a privilege that we have. And I mean, we can always talk about that being an economic privilege on its own right, but to exist as an American citizen and participate in society, you don't need to be vaccinated. You can search for only jobs that are remote. So there is, in my mind, no mandate, despite all the places you do need to have the vaccine for. So that that's interesting. I'll let you go next, Ben. Uh, but there's a there's one thing I want to point out. There's a fundamental difference in the way you view rights than me. Rights are not bestowed upon me by the government. I've given up a few of my rights to the government to protect those my all my other rights. Right, the, the prohibition of, of, of drug use or things like that, that, that wasn't something I gave up to the government. And it's been taken, in my view, by the government. Right? I have my unalienable rights to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And so I think we see it flipped in this instant. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, I think just to tie this all together, we go back to our original discussion about uh, drug use. If it's you know so unfair for criminalized people who've been convicted of crimes or addicted to drugs, if society treats them so terribly and they can't get a job and they, they end up reincarcerated and all they've done has been addicted to drugs and commit one felony, what about the people who have committed you know no crimes, have a clean rap sheet, but are struggling to find employment, uh, you know, to live a life that's fulfilling? simply because they didn't you know, get a shot in their arm. If it's not fair to people who chose to be addicted to drugs 
who chose to go down the path of, of violence and, and wound up in the prison system, right? If we're so concerned about helping them out and making things more fair to them, certainly we should be as concerned, if not more, about uh, you know making things fair for people who who have done nothing other than refusing to get a, a you know a shot in their arm. That's what I you know I, I can't reconcile. I, I have trouble reconciling those those two things. I so, think that's fair. I think that's really fair. And I, I think that on two fronts, I think I'm, I see things on two fronts. I see one in the, in the religious sense that I think, um, I think Adam brought up before. There's like, does the shepherd go looking for the one sheep or do they go look for the, like the flock that they, that's right in front of them? They go off for the one sheep and they go look for the sheep and they, they find the sheep and everybody says, hooray. And then you've got a story in the Bible and it's cool. Um, and so there's there's the one piece of like actually going out to help the people that seem like the outs that they're out completely on the outs of society. And on the other side of things, like I think that there's a I think that there's a responsibility. I think I, personally, similar to what Terry said about rights, I see getting the shot as a as a as a there's the there's the health piece that I think has moral implications like not participating in getting the vaccine when noted notably i think everybody on this podcast has had it um or at least to to our conversations has had it like getting it is also a commitment to not not being a conduit for it or for worse versions of it and knowing that it takes out people that 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 have higher risk of health conditions people that are older like that's taking care of the the sick and the least of the and the elderly, and so getting the shot is me trying to personally a commitment to not like being a conduit to to furthering the hardships that those people at those stages in their lives or those parts of their lives or experiencing certain hardships, health hardships, um, are facing. And so I see it as something of a commitment. So people that want to opt out of that when there's a a safe and healthy way to go about that, I see that as them to some degree kind of opting out of a out of the common good opting out of a civil or like a a kindness kind of a kindness driven perspective that that's going to take care of everybody else in the, in the community and so that's kind of how i see it but i mean you're absolutely right and I, and I, and so i i made this point to my wife today um yes a woman a woman married me um the in world war 2 they didn't jack up taxes to, to buy planes and build bombs. They sold war bonds. And everybody who had spare nickels, or so we're told by our grandparents or your great-grandparents, since you guys are a generation-ish behind me, they all bought war bonds because it was in the social good. They all saved bacon fat to make nitroglycerin. Right, they completely upended the societal norms of women staying at home and the women went to work in the factories. And they did that for their families and for their neighbors' families. My point, the reason we did not see that with COVID is because of a lack of leadership, because our society is far more self-centered today than it was in 1941. And 
because people were forced to do something. America is the place that says, don't tread on me. Right? Don't force, now, now we are, whether it's a five-year-old thing or not, it's who we are and it's bad leadership to force a man, if it's not pragmatic, it's not strategic, to have Anthony Fauci still talking about the virus to people who think he's terrible, he's never gonna change anybody who's unvaccinated today's mind, right? And so if you don't have a debate, right? If you, if you don't, if Anthony Fauci doesn't go on Joe Rogan's show and like, Joe, 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 no, the science, the science says wear 17 masks, right? And, and it, if he just goes on the show with, with his experts and say, look, no, 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 so this is what you heard? Okay, well, let me tell you why that's wrong. If they had treated us like adults and said, look, cloth masks don't work from the jump, but please don't go buy all the N95s because our doctors won't have any. If, if they, there were so many breakdowns in how they controlled the message, how they tried to get us to get vaccinated and, and what, and, and they never said, look, we're probably, right. It was far more certain. I just, I just think the leadership on this was terrible by both administrations. Ben, go ahead. Uh, this really isn't like an argument or anything, but just one last example of the paradox of a society we live in. I was at a concert this weekend in, in DC where you're required to have your vaccination card, which they check at the door. They're pretty strict about it. I don't think you can get in with a fake or anything like that. But I watched someone who was in there who obviously vaccinated, also wearing a mask at this concert, which again, that's something that's hard for me to reconcile why you would you know, feel it's that dangerous that you have to wear a mask, but you're also gonna go stand in a, in a crowded concert hall and watch that person with the mask pull the mask down to ingest something, which I can only assume, you know, we're at a concert. It was uh, two friends, which is a bit of like an EDM thing. So without saying what the drug was, I, you know, I think we all can kind of assume what it was. Uh, so again, you were that concerned about the government's requiring us to be vaccinated here. You're personally the person's that concerned about COVID that they're wearing the mask. But then again, they're taking drugs that they bought most likely off the street. From someone they don't know personally, which could be cut with, you know, who knows what, uh, could contain any number of substances. So, like to me, that just you know shows what a what a paradox of a time we live in. Yeah, I, I that that's really interesting. Like, I won't eat at Chipotle because the sneeze guard isn't high enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so paranoid now. This is the amount of mental illness that um, all of us have to different degrees has been exposed by coronavirus. And I think we need, we, and I say this every time, right? It's empathy for the other side here. Um, putting yourself in the shoes of, of somebody and trying to understand where they're coming from. You know, I really respect your, your intellect and your passion, Andrew, but I also want you to think about you said something, anybody can get a remote job. Just go get a remote job. Think about everyone in the service industry, right? Think about everybody at checking you out at, at the supermarket or 
um, the guy selling um, E to Ben and his friends at the rave. Um, and, and so, or glow sticks at the rave, let's do it that way. And, uh, but you know what I mean? Like it's the low income people who can't get the remote work, right? They might not even have Wi-Fi or a stable enough computer. Um, and so I, we have to be really careful with the unintended consequences of public policy, right? And the bigger the foot of government, the bigger the pro, right? The more problems I see. And so I keep thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna red pill you guys into into seeing the the idea of government protecting us from ourselves and each other is um, appealing, but we're humans and we're self interested. And we have this problem between our little brain and our big brain and, and, and using that for success. And so I think the idea that more information is always better, even if it's offensive. I wonder, I don't think that is where we're at today. I think speakers are silenced on campuses. Um, I certainly didn't feel comfortable making any sort of contrarian arguments, even if I didn't believe them when I worked at the university, if, it, if we were talking about climate change or if we were talking about, you know, um, the debate between equality versus equity, right? And so um, I think more hard conversations, more uncomfortable, more offending each other um, is is better than less and that's i don't i think it's a very unpopular position these days so i just said that luckily we have eight listeners so okay so we've been going for some time now um i think this is a good place to wrap again i think what i see is the the individual's life, the end game um, of our different perspectives is not that dissimilar. The road to get there is. And so um, I look forward to more of these conversations where I tell you the public policies I think will get us there and you tell me uh, I'm the devil or, or the public policies that you think will get us there. Um, but definitely I, I, I think uh, I'm listening to what you guys are saying. I'm processing what you're saying. And uh, I think we agree on a lot of the problems. So um, tune in, you know, uh, next time for another discussion of current events uh, with the team here at Voting Smarter. Go to votingsmarter.org. Join our waiting list for our new browser extension. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, tell your friends. We really appreciate if you made it this far with us and you're not married to us or dating us, or working for us. We really appreciate you listening. And uh, we, we look forward to sharing uh, our thoughts with you again. You've been listening to Pocket Politics from Voting Smarter. 
please follow us on Instagram at at VotingSmarter and check us out online at www.votingsmarter.org.